Rogers, mm. if you think Kevin Spacey killed that guy. Oh, yeah, I was mulling it over. Yeah. Um, so there's no cause of death, week, right? Well, he's anonymous, so they don't know the cause of death oh. because he was a John Doe. But they know he's dead. Yeah, his lawyer said that he was dead. Oh, I guess because the case would have been abated yeah. or something. Yeah. And his lawyer, like, told the court that he died. So Kevin Spacey was in the middle of a lawsuit with a masseuse who said that he was forced to touch good old kev's genitals twice during a <laughs> massage and he suddenly died but the thing is like we don't know his health we don't know his age yeah if i knew more i mean my first instinct is absolutely he was killed frank underwood Just did because it because i like probably pushed him in front of a train a la zoe r.i.p exactly zoe. but that was a joke do not sue us no we don't we that's why I don't think Kevin Spacey did it. I think Frank Underwood did it. Allegedly, Straight Frank up. Underwood. But no, so that's my answer. Is I I just yeah. need more details. So, um, I always think about with Kevin Spacey the fact that pretty shortly, like within six months to a year, I'd say before these allegations, a lot of them. I feel bad even saying allegations, but yeah, I guess they're not substantiated. But my mom and I saw Kevin Spacey play clarence darrow in that like inherit the wind-esque oh yeah monkey trial play and it was so great and it was so hard to get tickets but the venue was really close to my apartment at the time so i was able to go and get them and he was wonderful and then he brought out all these kids that he donated to and it's like then he you know just lots of trips on jeffrey epstein's i know i have to put the mug at the back of my cabinet now but i guess those rumors were circulating for a while and we just decided we cared about them in the last couple of years so i mean anthony rapp the guy who was in rent yeah was like when i was 14 he yeah came on to me and that was another public figure so it's like oh couldn't we put them on the same footing no okay we picked our favorite all right go society so uh i guess without further ado this is exceedingly persuasive i'm Mackenzie brennan i'm brooke rogers Thanks for listening. So today we're eventually going to get to talking about money and politics, which, you know, when have we not been talking about that in one sense or another? And I'm sure we will again in many new, fun, terrifying contexts. But we're going to get to the root of donations and lobbying and all that stuff. But before that, we want to hit some updates and corrections and all that good stuff. Oh, yeah, the emoluments updates. Yeah, we have emoluments updates really quickly. Purdue did file for bankruptcy, and Brooke, I think, had raised the alarm that that was on the horizon. Lots of people called it. I just yeah. said it. I didn't realize, and I think this was my reaction to you at the time, I didn't realize how, you know, if the fact that people had rejected settlements was pushing them to file for bankruptcy, I was like, oh boy, what were those settlement offers that them not being accepted would push you to, to file for bankruptcy, as if, you know, there was some greater financial risk to not settling... So I guess 
I misunderstood how that works and they the filing for bankruptcy kind of encourages plaintiffs to settle because it's an indication that pretty soon there will be no money left there will be right. restructuring or they'll be totally depleted because of all these things so so get the money while you can is run fast the yeah. yeah everybody race to the front so it is in a weird way a power move and a push to get people to settle now or else they'll get nothing potentially in that that's the risk that's being held over plaintiffs right now but it's like epstein always talking about how he would make sure that he was judgment proof and then restructuring his estate two days before he killed himself it's i feel like there's a weird power move of well at least if you've got me on everything you're not gonna get any recompense for yourself yeah (laughs) so i don't know it's a final fuck you yeah exactly big fuck you right back at the trump administration that came up this week so the emoluments case that was in the second circuit of new york so initially it was i guess dismissed by the southern district of new york which is a the district court a step below the circuit court um that was the one that i thought might be revivable um and the plaintiff in that one is crew which is like citizens for Citizens for Responsible Ethics in Washington, which is a watchdog group. Um, And also some, like, hospitality collective, union industry sort of thing that would be a lot of Trump's competitors. That suit was revived on appeal to the Second Circuit, so now it'll be... The Southern District's dismissal is reversed and the case is now remanded, so it's not decided yet, but they just said... it's not dead yet either, is basically Exactly. Actually, and I noticed this, too, I saw a headline... um, According to the Committee on Oversight and Reform, new documents show that the Pentagon spent at least 184000 in U.S. taxpayer funds at President's, President Trump's Turnberry Resort. Just one. Just, Just one. one. Is that the Scotland one? Yep. Turnberry, Scotland. Okay. So I'm sure that's, that's the one that the Air Force made an unscheduled stop, an unnecessary yeah. stop, and ended up staying there for a couple days for at the resort. For Great. Yeah. Um, I I love spending taxpayer money at our president's golf clubs. The only thing about that's good about him not falling earlier is that all these things keep coming out and at least it's getting harder and harder to look away. Today we had that story about the whistleblower. Um, Somebody in the Justice Department or one of the security agencies was like, I saw Trump have a secret phone call with some foreign leader in which he promised him something and yeah. So we'll see how that one develops. I but, kind of assume that security clearances are being violated left and right. I just if Trump is making secret calls and promising things, what exactly? Well, what, so what is he violating there? It's treason. Oh, good. I mean, if you're promising something to a foreign government without your own government, like as the head of a government that does not consent mm. against your country's interest, that's tre- that's treason. <laughs> In the words of George Bluth Senior. <laughs> I may light. have committed some light treason. Light treason. Somebody get this man an ice cream sandwich because you gotta shut no that pie mouth. Um, but we had speculated last week about who would have standing, and that's a big issue that nobody really has answered yet because nothing has gotten to the Supreme Court. But for these emoluments clause cases, we had talked a little bit about like competing hotels. Brooke had mentioned Holiday Inn. I'm not sure if they're part of this collective. Maybe they are. Maybe they're on it. Did I um, mention Holiday Inn? You freaking did. The DC Holiday oh, Inn. Yeah, Get that's right. on it. They, yeah. I think that they complained about the fact that they may have lost money by because people and were well staying And well, they at, should. Yeah. 
So justice for Holiday Inn in Florida. That's let's what make I shirts. say. Let's market shirts, market shirts. <laughs> to publicize this issue. Justice. Oh my god. Um. So yeah, it turns out yeah they are one of the plaintiffs that is arguably that arguably does have standing. So does this like general group of citizens who's in this ethics group okay. crew and the hospitality agency collective whatever it is. They're co-plaintiffs in the Second Circuit case, and then there's also one with, con- like, members of Congress. I'm not sure the status of I think one. they threw out Maryland and D.C. Maryland was state, as a state. Yeah, okay. But then there's also... With a weird constitution. A number of members of Congress okay. who yeah, were yeah. brought. Yeah. So I think, I think like that one's 200 mem- Democratic members of Congress also brought the lawsuit. Which makes sense, because it's like we're being deprived of our constitutional authority to approve or disapprove of these emoluments that are being received. Because they're the loophole to be able to accept emoluments. Oh, okay. So it's like, this is our authority. You're depriving us of that. Yeah, it's arguable. Biden and Warren are neck and neck in the polls right now. And that's like a big thing. Insane. Yeah. Yeah, I saw someone on Twitter say that it's Warren's nomination to lose, which I don't know how Seems true like that is. But the fact that the fact that that's even being said, when I say someone on Twitter, I, I mean someone with a, a blue check that I don't remember their name. So obviously not that important. But it sounds like a dude. It sounds like a dude who's putting all the onus on the woman who is polling lower right now <laughs> to fix it or else it's her fault. Like, I don't know who it was, but it sounds like a man's point of view. Uh, you know what? Just like that headline <laughs> that we're going to talk about later with uh, oh, Kavanaugh. Yikes. The fact that Warren is polling so well, again, when she, at the beginning of the race, um, was polling below nine percent in almost every poll for a long time couldn't break double digits yeah and now she is not only ahead of the majority of the field but neck and neck with the man who is considered most electable in this race by the majority of people is interesting just got there by blood sweat and tears and Michelob ultra and Michelob ultra and like taking twenty thousand selfies as she did last weekend she just waited through a line and she's like you know what Four hours of I waited, selfies. Yeah, I waited four hours, but you know who else did? The last person in line. This is why I can't... Well, there are many reasons why I can never be a politician, let's be honest. <gasps> yeah. Um, but one thing that I'm really worried about seeing this number is I'm really terrified of the diehard Bernie people who, once again, if Warren starts to pull ahead, but not close enough to Biden to make it definitive, if Bernie people are so set on voting for Bernie that they don't vote for her and then Biden wins and then those will be the same people that don't want to come out because he's not progressive enough. I worry about people who are set on the third candidate and take votes from her. Um, Whereas Biden is less likely to split the vote with Bernie. I don't think we're going to see a repeat of 2016 because, for that reason at least, because Warren and Hillary are so different. I think we could see. I agree with you. I think absolutely they're. I think they're there different. will be diehard but Bernie I th- fans. Who I think are like, the issue could be the same because now that we're seeing her as second, and him as third. I don't. Yeah, maybe. And I guess that's a do concern. Do you think there are Bernie people who would say, "I think that I would rather Warren than Biden, so I will move from my guy to Warren because she's the more likely than Bernie." So you're worried that. The Bernie Bros are going to split the progressive vote, yes, because they refuse to vote for absolutely, Warren and, and they'll elect Biden. Biden. I don't think a lot of us will be as enthusiastic about turning out for Biden. Yeah, the the enthusiasm for Biden all around is pretty low. I think. Um, I no, I still think that there are enough Bernie supporters who see Warren as an ally. I think that Warren's policies are are pretty night and day with with Hillary's in many ways, not all, but many ways, and. 
just has a different record. So in a general, for sure, but in the primary context, yeah, I, I guess worry. that is a concern. I don't know. I guess we'll have to see as it gets closer. Yeah, um, yeah, that's I think true. that and how the numbers go. Yeah, because the numbers, if if they're neck and neck, you'll probably will see a lot of Bernie supporters sticking with with Ugh. him. We'll do Kavanaugh and then do... Yeah, so we should just do Kavanaugh. So I've just poured um, wine into my holiday-themed llama travel wine glass, which means we're ready to talk about Brett Kavanaugh. (laughs) Should have brought beer. This is my protest. Oh, it's your protest. Mm -hmm. Your your red wine. Um, Because Brett loves beer. I I also love beer. I'm going to say that up front. I do too. If anyone anyone finds this podcast years from now, this is what they'll hold against me is that I also love beer. Listen. Um, Do you want to give an update? Um, Actually, I think you're in a better position because you have a better journalistic outlook on the story. Okay. So recently, an article was published in the New York Times that um, was basically an excerpt slash synopsis of a book that's coming out called The Education of Brett Kavanaugh. It's written by, I believe, two journalists, correct? Yeah, two women. Uh, one of them, I believe, was in the same community of schools in the D.C. metro area around I the time Georgetown, he was. Georgetown, right? Georgetown, uh, Georgetown Prep was Prep. his school. She didn't go to the same one, but it was like the same community and atmosphere. The other one went to Yale around the same time that he did. So they both intersected not personally with him but were familiar with similar communities at similar times so overlaps there the book delves deeper into the accusations against kavanaugh uh and into the investigation into his behavior the obviously we know christine blasey ford who stepped forward during his nomination process and that's been pretty well publicized there's also deborah ramirez who uh, alleged that he took his penis out and shoved it in her face while she was drunk at a party at Yale. Yeah, she was a freshman and she said that she was a virgin and was very naive to those sort of things. And she still cries, like she yeah. cried in the interview about it because it was so upsetting for and her. And she was, yeah, I think she was 18 or so, so... yeah. Uh, and the, sorry, just to note, the two reporters are Robin Pogrebin and Kate Kelly. For what it's worth. But Deborah Ramirez was really more of the focus of the book that they wrote and then the subsequent summary article because she, her accusation was not, it was certainly reported to the FBI in a timely fashion, as was Blasey Ford's. Um, it was not investigated by the FBI. It was not the subject of any congressional focus because of the extremely limited scope that was placed on the inquiry by Republican senators. And the reason why that scope was chosen was because the Anita Hill investigation took four days, so they put a four-day limit on the... So the ghost of the past shot us in the foot there, (laughs) and you know what? Let's open them both back up for (laughs) as much time as we need. Um, And it's ironic from a very similar group of senators to the one that said that there was not enough time to consider Merrick Garland Yeah, when there was certainly more than four days to yeah. consider him so uh this yeah. so this new book it was it was the the point of a little bit of controversy last week we can talk about both controversies the tweet yeah. and i want to get to the the um problem with the allegation first so, so there's, this, this is forward, a third allegation this is a third so deborah yeah. ramirez came forward herself and talked 
um, to and, and reported it. And Christine Blasey Ford came forward herself and talked to people about it. Oh yeah, and this this is a good context to bridge between Ramirez and this third allegation. So Brett Kavanaugh either by his attorneys or himself in the context of these hearings said if something like that had happened it would have been the talk of the campus at Yale um and what Kate Kelly and Robin Pogrebin found was it kind of was the Deborah Ramirez story that they talked about it in the dorm and that he was well known for having this reputation of being very drunk a lot of the time which might explain why he's so uh convinced that these things didn't happen we'll never know what's going on in his head but he might actually believe that because he might not remember certain things but and that's something that kelly i believe talked about a lot was how when you factor in the amount of time that has gone by and you factor in potential alcohol use on every side memory is sort of it's already subjective yeah when you're either i think it would be a traumatic situation when you are the victim absolutely but in a weird way there's a warped memory sense for somebody who's doing something adrenaline inducing as a perpetrator would be so i think that even the perpetrators probably have an extra skewed perspective even if we didn't have alcohol even if we didn't have the number of years i mean i think back to my college experience which is a hell of a lot closer and i don't know that i could remember every buffoon asshole guy who did what at what party if you're a third party looking on yeah it's hard to say so or even if you're that person or yeah i think that there are some people who if you run you know run certain crowds you're not going to remember that no matter what it just it depends on different things to different people uh and so that was kind of the segue into well actually it was the talk of the campus and there was this reputation it then came out um And actually it did, this also came out in the FBI investigation, that a very similar incident allegedly happened per a man named... uh, Max Steyer. Yes, who now I think he runs a nonprofit, and he reported it to the FBI as well. And so... So in this book, this was a new allegation that we had not previously known about, where he came forward. We as a public didn't know about. Uh, This uh, former student, Max Steyer, came forward and said that he saw Kavanaugh at a party take out his penis and put it in the hand of a female student. The thing about this one is that the female student in question who was mentioned during this, she did not want to speak to anyone about it. And her friends said that she didn't remember it happening. So that one is a little more in in a weird gray area for me where if the victim herself doesn't want to speak about it, I don't want to give a lot of credence to it because... I don't want to tell that story for her. Yeah, I think in terms of telling the story, I, I absolutely agree with you. I don't... And we do have to be careful about when when you report situations like that. Either being very clear about that, which they yeah. weren't in the Times piece. Yeah, they weren't in the article. and In the book, that I think they were. In the book, it does say that as a qualifier pretty immediately. But, oh my gosh, you guys are not rookies. What are you doing? Yeah, it's one of those things it's where you're a real not helping thing. your case at all. Yes. And it... it it gives ammunition to people who question your legitimacy in the first place. Yeah, and it gives this tough burden that I think it, we've talked about double standards a lot, and I know that I get frustrated about double standards that exist between Democrats and Republicans, moral compass on a collective scale. I think men and women in general, that mm-hmm. I feel like as women, we have to be perfect because anything is exploitable. And this, even though it was a man accusing him, or, or recounting this story, it's like you have two credible, educated women saying this about the same guy, and then 
the fact that an additional person comes out and says, oh yeah, I saw him do the same thing, that there's one little hole in the reporting and that is enough for everything yeah. to fall apart. And that's what frustrates me. And I, I agree with you about not telling a victim's story and not co-opting somebody's experience, especially if they may or may not want to discuss it. And who knows her reasoning? It may be that she actually doesn't remember it, which that in and of itself could be totally innocent or it could be she was also drunk and she doesn't know who knows max steyer was probably uh, you know young and or drunk at the time he might be remembering the wrong person but if she's saying that because she wants to avoid something that really did happen to her that's a totally different difficulty like, yeah there are so many reasons why it's the complex. problem is that the details are so ambiguous and so mm fuzzy for this specific story i just don't think like again like you're talking about max may max steyer may have seen the wrong person max steyer may have had that like you know unreliable memory it could have been speculative elements like i don't know that that is accurate and so i wouldn't count that as an indelible piece of the story i do think that if you can separate that from the identity of the victim which i think is possible i think in a partisan sense it's probably yeah impossible But if you can separate the substance of who this person was from, okay, now we have three separate sets of people who are credible and saying that similar, you know, drunken, aggressive, sloppy. There are these three stories that have similar themes to them. That in that context, this does seem very relevant to me. It frustrates me, though, again, because by doing this the wrong way, they put... Christine Blasey Ford and Deborah Ramirez into the line of fire because it now it now makes the whole thing seem like a smear job to people who want to perceive it that way or even people in the middle who yeah are like what are they doing why aren't they reporting this correctly and that bothers me because people in the middle I understand I guess my question in a very philosophical and meta sense and also an indignant sense becomes what are we supposed to do then it yeah because the burden is perfection and it also comes down to the substance of these allegations even with the exclusion of that one that nobody that i've heard talk about brett kavanaugh seems to have an inkling of belief that it could possibly be true and i'm left thinking what do you want then? What would it take to prove right. that this actually happened? Yeah, and, and they're invoking Robert Bork and all that. Yeah, I think that when it comes down to it, it's a really partisan issue. People on uh, whatever like whatever line you fall on, like, you're would you probably really going to take sides with whatever that is. I never believe that he could have done that because Democrats don't like him, even though that is divorced from the fact that he might have done. Would you not entertain the most credible, the most multitudinous of reports? Because there's this separate element that Democrats don't like him. Well, and uh, Tina Blasey Ford's friend who said that she didn't remember what happened. That Leland... Uh, Leland Kaiser? Something. Yeah, I think her last name may or may not have changed. Yeah, which again, we're talking about 15-year-olds yeah. who are now in their 50s, I believe. Yeah. Um, and she and Christine Blasey Ford is far more likely to remember what happened than a friend of hers who... And they were both at the party. I yeah. don't think that uh, Leland Kaiser was ever... Um, party to the incident itself but she said that i went to this place with this person and the basis for leland kaiser saying that was i do not remember ever having seen this person in my life of brett kavanaugh i i can confidently say that i would not recognize now especially with aging factored in and then maybe a yearbook picture in front of me there's no way that i could confidently say that 
a friend of mine is lying about a story about sexual assault because I don't remember having seen this person decades ago. I I think what frustrates me looking back now is the fact that a lot of people, when they saw the testimony, when they saw Christine Blasey Ford's testimony, they could (laughs) see how emotional it was for her, even though though she was very poised during the whole time. And during, during the testimony, there were a lot of people who said... I think that she was assaulted, right. just not by Brett Kavanaugh. But why? Which is such that a cop way? out. Exactly. And it's it's basically saying I think she remembers something, but not everything. And it's it's kind of a way to beat around what actually happened. And what is their basis for making that determination? It's just that they like Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah. So if they believe her credit, and well, I, I don't know if you know this, Mackenzie, but um, he that? had a calendar, and she wasn't on it. Oh my god! It. See, look at that. <laughs> was oh. not on my calendar. But this what. Daddy What's shocking thieves. to me is how the right is so angry about this. They see it as the smearing of a good good man. They see it as a family guy who got caught in the line of fire between Democrats and Republicans, and they see it as complete, completely false and untrue. And then you have the left that is so angry that he was nominated anyway, especially after his performance during the nomination, he where lost he his school almost immediately he. When showed, in a job interview. Yeah. yeah, he showed absolute inability to control himself. Just um, uncensored anger about something that, at the very least, you should be respectful. And I, I thought about this a couple times, especially in light of the new story. What if he had handled it differently? What if it had been more nuanced? And I think it would have been too much of a risk and too much to ask for him. But if he had said something like, you know what, I, I was a little bit wild in my youth and I've totally reformed and I recognize I might have hurt people even if he said I don't think I hurt people in that way but I respect the experience people have gone through and you know don't be yelling about how much you like beer well it wasn't just that either crying about your calendars yeah it, it was the fact that he was even when Amy Klobuchar, who I think was there were there were senators who were clearly trying to make theater out of it, which seemed to me made me up angry because it's such an important issue that they were and they were clearly trying to get sound bites in, which really bothered me. On both, I think even um, like Lindsey Graham did it as well, oh, but there were Democratic senators as well. Amy Klobuchar handled herself so well during that interview and asked some really important questions and did it in a very professional way and she was the one who he flipped out on which I thought was so interesting because she was so composed she, yeah. she was so composed so it it just for me after after I saw his behavior I realized that this is not a man we should have as you know a lifetime to the position highest on the supreme court yeah and I think and a, that a measured position uh an ethical like this is the highest moral ethical yeah reasoned office that you could call to mind in our country there's no other job that would demand more composure yeah and reasonability and yet he showed neither in his job interview for that post he again like so many of these things he's not entitled to that job and frankly as a if i were a republican i would feel like is this really the best we have to offer there are absolutely jurisprudential scholars and judges who are conservative leaning who would be able to handle themselves with composure probably don't have that and spotty past have that baggage yeah. yeah i don't think we're gonna i don't think this is there's ever going to be a closure to this no and i think that the difficulty because people have been talking impeachment and honestly he's not gonna get impeached he's I, not gonna get impeached we have I don't bigger know. fish to fry right now because in any other administration it would be a reasonable conversation right 
Yeah. Because he lied to Congress. I mean, saying that the Devil's Triangle is a drinking game is easily disproven. And it's it's just, like, nobody has acted that way in a, a confirmation hearing in the past. Yeah. Robert Bork was, uh, we should talk more at length about him, but he's the poster child of poor treatment by the left from the right, Reagan appointee. And even he got a full hearing and bipartisan down votes. So, well, it sucks. So that's good. Yeah, that and then you I, have to tackle it also, Thomas it, if you tackle Kavanaugh. Yeah, you can't have it also one really frustrates me how divisive this has been. I know people who... I know men <laughs> really defend him and it's it's hard conversations to have when it's it feels like you're speaking different languages about this issue yeah. and it's one of those situations where again it was the way he behaved during the confirmation hearings that put the final nail in the coffin for me that he shouldn't be in the position a lifetime position and so even when they won't even agree with me on that when I can't even find just the way he rea- the a way kernel he of, acted yeah was inappropriate do you not agree with that well no no because it, it, it just it blows my mind when people are so set on either side of this it's very frustrating to talk about because you realize that you can't really meet in the middle on this or it's easier. an emotional topic for people and yet it i think the people on the side that you're describing don't have a right to have such emotion about it i think you and i certainly have a right to have an opinion on it for anybody to defend that when they wouldn't when they certainly don't understand the position the accusers are in. And as a woman who is a lawyer, if I had gone into my interview to act as a clerk in the New York Supreme Court and behaved half as poorly as he had when challenged about some lesser element of my record, I wouldn't have gotten the job. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of but men, they see him as a victim of a smear campaign. That's where that anger comes in is the Democrats will play dirty until they get what they want and they therefore he has want. to be. What are you talking no, about? No, the Democrats never get what they want. That's actually something that's so funny to me is how ineffective that everybody is. scheming <laughs> and yet we can't manage to, yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah, but yeah. I think it, that's why it's important for people and like us And I was pissed to, at Feinstein how she handled that. I was angry at the way that she brought it forward in a way that put Blasey Ford in a rough position. Boy, I don't remember enough about the procedural It was, she held on to it for a long time and oh, basically right, right, right. brought it out as a Hail Mary at the last second. Wasn't there a question about if she was authorized to release it, though? If Blasey Ford had authorized her to release it? There was something that she, details were pretty blurry about, like... Because Blasey Ford didn't agree to, to have her name associated for no. a while. And then she kind of had to come forward after they figured out it was her. I think the media figured out it was her before. Right. It was not a congressional... Like, they didn't release it. But I think that was part of the time. And again, now we're going back about a year. Yeah. So I'm trying to remember the specifics. But the bottom line that I do want to add is I think that conversations like those that you and I have had about Me Too and how we forgive and how we put things on this scale of bad are important to have with men like that. And God knows kid gloves required because, oh, God forbid. But I think where a lot of that pushback comes from, whether people know it or not, is that men are afraid that this could happen to them because what if they had oh, a yeah, misstep? I don't think, I think a but lot not, of men are afraid that this will happen to them. Not wrongly, though. They're afraid they've done something like this that, and maybe for some wrongly. I think there is that element as well. But I think a lot of people are afraid, well, boy, you know, I 
put my arm around a girl or I gave a girl a peck at a party and then she didn't want to date me or I walked into this college party naked. And that's why I think it's important for people like us who do have a little more insight and nuance on those conversations to say, hey, it's different to take your clothes off at a party and be an idiot buffoon at your own expense than it is to put your erect penis on somebody's face without their consent. Yeah. You know, that this is not something that everybody's doing. Or, yeah, there's a, there's a level doing. of aggression that's yes. very different. And I think that... And let's highlight the difference here. But yeah, I think that fear, I think that is a very real fear that a lot of men that I have talked to or know of have. But also the way that they package it when they say things like, this could happen to your brother, this could happen to your son. It is this kind of fear game where they it is. P- they put that into and the minds of people. And it's pitting the genders against one another because yeah the same the real thing could happen to your daughter or your wife and which is why I think it is important to talk about the shades of what difference between what's okay yeah because honestly I think a lot of men know in an implicit way a lot of good men do because I think of all the drunken buffoon men that I love to death in both high school and college and honestly since then I mean I've also been a buffoon so I kind of have there's an absolutely gross point but if we're thinking of men being susceptible to this in a unique way The men who I have partied with, and a lot of times when I was one of the only girls or the only girl or alone with them at some point, a lot of them did stupid stuff and got naked and like ran across the street or fell off the loft of the bed or did something stupid, but I never felt at risk. I never felt taken advantage of by those things. Yeah. And I think it's because men like that knew the difference. Yeah. And so that's an important line to highlight. This can't just happen to anybody because not just anybody does this. Yeah. Yeah, no, honestly, though, it just makes me so, it makes me so sad for where we are in our country and the people who have experienced this. Just the the fact that we can't talk about it without people losing their freaking minds. And this is is a man who will determine the future of women's health care rights and if it makes it to the Supreme Court, yeah. Bodies. Surprisingly, he has been much more moderate in his uh, decisions than In economic terms, yeah. I don't know that for uh, social issues that would track. No, I mean, that that's good. And, and I know that for, like, labor union decisions and so, like, people have been surprised on other issues that he is not as conservative as some things might have suggested. But I think the things that might be closest related to his comportment well he also made a threatening comment after the nomination do you remember that about how hold on let me bring it up well he all the most recent thing and when i was just googling the story now is that it came out that during the investigation that progerbin and uh, kelly did he declined to be interviewed but said he would be interviewed if they essentially said that there was no substance to the accusation so he would have been interviewed if they kind of were bought off and lied about the substance of the accusation. That just came out on the Washington Post tonight. Interesting. Yep. I don't know how to respond to that immediately, actually. It's really weird. It's really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so while he was delivering his opening statement to the Senate Judiciary Committee, he said... Since my nomination in July, there's been a frenzy on the left to come up with something, anything to block my confirmation. Then he told Democratic senators, you sow the wind, the country will reap the whirlwind. Oh, God. So that was, yeah, that was... Uh, See, like, why do you say stuff like that? I just think like, so, there's stuff like that that he kind of shoots you have himself no in the control. foot. It, it makes him look extremely partisan, and that makes me... That, that make anyone worried about how he's going yeah. to decide. Should not be a judge even in, you know, a state court lower court 
in my opinion, that should not be the comportment of a judge who is supposed to be a neutral party. And yeah, judges have, shouldn't seek vengeance, but here we are. The, you know, ability to de-invest themselves. But um, speaking Absolutely. of de-investing, which is not a word, I don't think. De-investments? Disinvest I've, I've been, been de-investing in the stock market, meaning that I'm a millennial and I don't have investments in the stock market. Uh, okay, so moving on now to money and politics. We uh, have been wanting to talk about this for a while, just some of the... Is there money in politics? I've never seen it. I don't think that's Have right. you ever heard about... You're being crazy. You sound a little hysterical right now. My uterus is whispering things hey, to my brain. Get crazy, Making girl. me crazy. Get super crazy. <laughs> Ethan and I watched The Strangers last night. Liv Tyler, like 2008. Oh my, first of all, Liv Tyler in that movie is... Pretty baby. A goddess. But it seems like that was so recent. And yet so long ago. 2008, right? It was 2008. Yeah. She had a, like a Motorola Razor predecessor. Oh, yeah. Holy crap. That's the thing crap. is, I feel like horror movies now have to reckon with the fact that there's so many pieces of tech that like, well, it's like there's yeah. no service. And I feel like, you know, I know. Tech. You can do the little emergency thing on your iPhone. It's like the premise that none of the Seinfeld scenarios would hold up or be as funny with internet and cell phones. I don't think I've ever seen a full episode of Seinfeld. Except for the muffin one. Probably could say the same, except my family's really into it, so I've always felt like it's a thing I should know. <laughs> but I do know that there are certain things like, who is this person? Or... Gotta Google this. Is technology ruining comedy? No safe spaces, no technology. Back to the dark ages. So Seinfeld will be funny again. <laughs> but yeah, so money and politics. So get us started on this. It's such a massive topic that has so many greasy little tentacles <laughs> all throughout our system. Why is money in politics such a big problem and how does it undermine democracy which is not a question we're going to answer on this podcast today because it's a big question but we will work Who toward can, that but we'll chip away at it we'll chip yeah. away so yeah i think the way that we thought about organizing this is thinking about corporate money yeah as a general common denominator because that really arches through lobbyists from the nra that's a corporate entity Koch Brothers, private corporate entity, Open Society, is uh, yeah, a left, all these interest leftist, groups. Um, also, these PACs and strictly political corporations. Sackler is pharmaceutical, like industry wide. Yeah. So, Open Society is a foundation. It's it's it calls itself one of the largest philanthropic organizations in the world, and they care about freedom, democracy, and human rights. Uh, but they do. It's a way for people who have lots of money to funnel that money into a lot of smaller local think tanks and organizations and and people who are doing things at a local level and it's all a shell game it's and one common thread through a lot of these not sultry dirty i'm trying to think of the word slimy dirty gross little narratives is that it's getting to be a simpler and simpler way around any sort of regulation or monitoring or limit is that we have all these shells and we keep moving them around. Mm -hmm. So this corporation outsources to this pack and then this pack is the one that funds the candidate. And then we just everybody moves it around. And this is strictly a philanthropy. And yeah. this corporation, um, one thing that we'll talk about is the fact that the root of corporations having the right to spend money willy-nilly as they will is the first amendment because corporations are people as mitt romney said yes. corporations are people yeah 
So, I think he had a hot dog in his hand at the time. He was on a campaign stop with a hot dog he in his hand. He loves hot dogs, right? It's his favorite meat. And he said, <laughs> corporations are people. And everyone I mean, was like, what? I wish Say we knew, I wish more people knew how ridiculous the premise so many nasty issues rest on because that's also, that was the basis for the Hobby Lobby case where employers, if they were corporate and didn't want to fund employees, private individual employees contraceptives under their health care plan could opt out because corporations have religion and they're protected under the first amendment yeah why would you want to pay for your employees to have access to things that keep them from getting pregnant that, when does, this that seems like a great idea has religious views because it's a person and so Howdy the basis lobby. for these new developments in campaign finance law that allow corporations to spend as much as they'd like and the funders of those corporations to do that is that corporations have free speech rights mm-hmm. um and that those cannot be abridged for really any other compelling interest like stemming corruption or maintaining what exactly what the was government. the decision that citizens united citizens united was the yes. first one and actually that's been a pretty big issue mm-hmm. citizens united was about this 90 minute propaganda film against hillary that was funded by a pack if memory serves and they wanted to air this on tv channels and buy as many slots as possible and show it in theaters it violated the mccain feingold act which obviously is a bipartisan thing because john mccain is was a republican that uh, made it a felony for corporations to advocate for candidates within 30 or 60 days of elections, whether it was the primary or general, if it was a federal election. And that kind of makes sense, because if your purpose is to advocate as a corporation for a candidate and can funnel as much money in to influence the marketplace of public opinions, uh, maybe don't do that in a way that is so much influence without any fact-checking or bias control. The, oh, this is great. So one of the reasons that was cited in saying that the McCain-Feingold limitation on that was unconstitutional under the First Amendment was that PACs, PACs are such a burdensome alternative that corporations would never use them to circumvent. Well, we... And in the years since this 2010 opinion, it's we've seen too it. hard. Is that really what the what the decision was? Is it was that... part of it. It was part of the reasoning. Part of the reasoning was that they'll never use PACs. Who ever heard of a corporation using a PAC? That's yeah. ridiculous. So since 2010, when Citizens United came out, we saw the practicality of how difficult and burdensome and impractical it's been to use PACs. It's fundamentally weird because. If your reasoning is that corporations are people and they have the right to speech, but also they won't, though. What do you feel? Most corporations can't even get out of bed in the morning. I just don't see how they're going to, you know, use a pack to, like, give me money. Corporations put their pants on one leg at a time, just like all of us. Like everybody else. (laughs) I'm going to form a pack. Oh, no. Now I just have this mental image of this giant building with pants on. This is why. Way cuter than the reality, which I don't know what that means. It's all relative. Uh, Citizens United was written by Anthony Kennedy, notoriously a swing vote, but more a swing vote on social issues and unfortunately not for things like corporate speech-related stuff. Um, So then there was this other case that I was unfamiliar with until doing some research because it was relatively recent. Well, I guess not that recent now, but 2014, the McCutcheon case, um, which 
So McCutcheon was another bipartisan campaign reform bill that was overturned, and it was called FICA, which is one letter away from fecal. And I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> Kenzie just always bringing it back to our main message I got on this for podcast. <laughs> I can't be tamed. Those people who hate our astronaut poop jokes in like episode four or whatever are really going to hate this uh, section of, of this Funnel podcast. It right to you, my man. So I think this one overturned a campaign contribution limit within a span of time. So corporations, there was a cap on how much they could donate to any campaign over X amount. I think it was like a two-year period before an election. Oh, and it was also federal candidates. So it kind of makes sense if you think about federal terms for a lot of these Mm -hmm. offices that this would be right before elections. So if a corporation is donating X million dollars and that, I, I don't know what the number was, but that there is a cap on how much speech through money through corporation could be funneled into this one cause and the problem is that what this effectively does is it means that candidates who are more popular might be drowned out by candidates who will work in the interests of the industries and corporations and people who have money. And it just contributes to this inequality of power that we all experience in the U.S. and that we know exists. And again, that's kind of where the tentacle analogy comes in, Mm -hmm. is that we know it's there and it's kind of always over us. I don't think all of us know how insidious it's gotten with corporations and with the rationale behind it. Because the dissent in McCutcheon... It was by Justice Breyer, and it was so great. It was one of those things that said so clearly things that I knew I felt but never could have summarized with such clarity. And the beginning of the sense of his dissent, which was joined by the liberal justices, was, you know, their whole rationale for this decision is free speech. But let's look at the motivation for free speech. Speech doesn't exist in a vacuum. It exists in the marketplace of ideas, and it exists for the purpose of telling our elected representatives what our interests are so that you can represent the people. But if you mute that voice by adding money to certain voices in such a way that it elevates some to drown out others, that is against the very purpose of free speech, and it muddies the marketplace that allows this to be a democracy. So, But one problem it is that... It cuts against free speech. The people who could regulate this, the people mm-hmm. who could stop big money from being so pervasive, are the people who are benefiting from it. Well, I mean, this is kind of... Uh, another level from that because these were federal pieces of legislation that were limiting this and that's why it's so instructive to me that these are bipartisan Mm -hmm. uh, acts in both cases that were overturned in favor of more insidious and partisan high money tactics that these were congressional acts that limited spending and they applied to federal campaigns and it was the supreme court which and this might get us into the Koch brothers if we're ready to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, the Koch brothers actually funded a lot of the interest groups that litigated the case and also did amicus briefs. But those were the kind of puppet masters behind the cause. It was less the legislators who actually had worked to prevent this. And it was more these corporate interests who were like, I don't really like how this is affecting the volume of my voice in the political marketplace. So, and mm-mm-mm. One way that we see this affect us in a big way is with the environment. Yes. And 
especially with the Koch brothers. The Koch brothers have also supported or they have directly supported think tanks like Cato Institute, which it's very libertarian and has done a lot of good work, in my opinion, in criminal justice and other areas. Uh, they also run Americans for Prosperity. They have a bunch of think they, tanks. They ha- I, think, I think it would surprise a lot of people to see just... Yeah. And you talked a while ago about how their firm is involved in a lot of industries that we don't even think about. The clothes that we're wearing. Yeah. And the the drive wall the lumber in our floors and houses our toilet paper um spandex they transport gas so just to give some background on them they are essentially a massive private equity firm so private they really invested a lot of their early money in fuel industry futures and having information that gave them a corner on the market, which is why they've been on the side of regressive environmental policies. That's why a lot of their future interest in energy. They have put money behind a lot of candidates who were actively Mm -hmm. anti-regulation. And if a candidate threatened their, you know, the fossil fuel industry. Turn pretty quick. They would remove support. So there are cases like that where I think, again, the, the impact on all of us is so much bigger than you can even fathom because the rhetoric that certain think tanks, certain candidates that they were supporting turned out contributed to a lot of people's misunderstanding of what climate change is. Yeah. And... And with that came a lot of other conservative talking points. Yeah. Regressive social issues. They're credited with the start of the Tea Party, with really funding the start of the Tea Party. And Mike Pence particularly has ridden the coattails of the Koch well, brothers. The two, both the Occupy movement and the Tea Party movement started out as actual grassroots anger. Oh, and I'm sure the motivation was the, there to the, capitalize upon. There wa- yeah. so, and that, this kind of gets us into astroturfing. So astroturfing yeah. is when corporations or industries or people funnel money to smaller groups in a way that masks their involvement. It makes it look like organic grassroots, grassroots. support. AKA Astro, you know, it's AstroTurf. Exactly. I thought it's such a great, a great term and a great example of how money in politics can make it look like an organic democratic movement or really exploit, Mm -hmm. like you're saying, exploit an existing interest and amplify it to a point that it no longer represents the voice of the people. I mean, they talk about the Koch brothers, and I'm sure this happens with a lot of similar groups on varying scales, hiring buses upon buses of people, getting them lunches, getting them scripts, and putting them up in hotels or housing or door-to-door service to protest with certain lines, go to the polls and vote for certain candidates, not because they want to or they cared about it, but because they were being paid to do that. And with some people, it might be that they actually do agree with these issues, but sure it's a the message is being fed to them. And it's being funded. The There's right. a money incentive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It happens. I think that there are situations where people will try to delegitimize actual movements. Like, you'll see a lot of people accusing... Crisis actors. Yeah, or like with Ferguson or with any kind of anti-police brutality movement you have a lot of people whispering well you know like soros is busting them in see to me that just that's used to delegitimize actual grassroots movements as well you know the like pseudo adage if somebody's a liar they think everybody else is lying Mm -hmm. i have not known of any credible evidence that crisis actors or soros paying to ship in those sorts of people i mean they said that in charlottesville as well yeah and they said it about newtown sandy hook uh, they said it about Parkland. 
but well crisis actors and bussing in quote-unquote bussing in are different because bussing in actually does happen crisis actors there is no proof that it happens so but people i think when it's accused of the left it's often the crisis it's like the parkland kids become protesters and Mm -hmm. the protesters at those marches are being paid I don't know of any credible allegations of either one happening in regards to those causes. No, especially with with gun control or anti-police brutality. I've never seen evidence of people being busted. And definitely not crisis actors are a totally different level. Alex Jones messaging. But it's a stone's throw away from if you think that people are being paid against somebody shooting their family or friends or whatever i think that it's a Mm -hmm. spectrum but it does seem to me that on the one hand we do know that the Koch brothers did do this sort of astroturfing with tea party causes which then morphed into the current trump-ized republican party whereas i don't know of any evidence of any analogous group doing it on the other side and the democratic platform seems to be more anti-corporate money in politics especially lately Uh, yeah the two big progressive candidates on the left Elizabeth warren and bernie sanders have both pledged not to take corporate money uh liz warren said she wouldn't take it in the primary but she i believe she might in the general um i think bernie said he wouldn't take it ever but both of them have come out against corporate money and it being used to drown out the voice of regular people You know, we can talk about there are groups like Open Society Foundation. It's sort of that is the left's version of this, but they often do it in ways that they're usually working to support local left organizations that are registering people to vote, things like that. So which isn't partisan inherently. Yeah, I don't think so. No, or like a thing that they did a lot. I mean, their work is partisan. This is kind of what we come down to where it's just because it's coming from you know, it's coming from up the ladder. Right. Does not necessarily mean that it's evil, but people should be aware of it. And I think should how know. partisan the message is also matters. One of Open Society's big goals in 2018 was to flip the sun states, which you're from a sun state, you're from Arizona. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it was inherently partisan, but I also... We flipped. Yeah. And yeah. It, it worked. And they I said that they would plan on doing that. And like Tom Steyer, who is now running for president uh he was was one of the people like him and george soros are part of the quote-unquote democracy alliance which Mm -hmm. is kind of the left's biggest donors george soros runs open society and that's where you hear a lot of like oh they're like soros funded it's it just goes through open society but the irony is that the things like caps on donations within a period of time or limits within x days of the election those things would have prevented abuse on both sides. And I don't know enough about the realities of George Soros and Open Society. I do know that the party tends to be, um, you know, it was the liberal justices in 2010 and in 2014, and today liberal candidates and politicians who tend to be anti-corporate funding. Yeah. um, And it's the conservatives who tend to be pro. But if we're going to, even pointing that finger... If conservatives had been concerned about that, that could have been a great consensus to strike, but was not a concern of theirs Mm -hmm. because it seems like Republicans were benefiting at that time. 2014 came up again, not a concern, and now not a concern. So you got to put your money where your mouth is to some extent, and I feel like that with the Koch brothers too and this social liberalism that gets some lip service it's yeah i think that if well it's a difference between being anti big government and pro voice of the people you know what i mean so there's a difference between mm. you can be anti big government pro big corporation 
I think I a lot of leftist libertarians are anti-big corporation, anti-big government. And because, because they believe of, that corporations shouldn't be hoarded like that. Yeah, and because of the, the inherent bias of private interests, inherent influence of private money, protecting the voice of the people in examples like this mm-hmm. requires some hand from the government. And this is another example where I know I tend to lean in a more comfortable way with government regulation, mm-hmm. but this for me is another example of, okay, we saw what it looks like for the government to have its hands off of this mm-hmm. and what no regulation looks like in the aftermath of this. And it's... Well, because at some point, corporations become just as dangerous and just as much of a threat to your liberty as government. So when I say like anti-big government, what I'm really talking about is anti-government abuse, anti-oppression, anti-authoritarianism. And that I think is... Um, anti-authoritarianism. And I agree with that. And also yeah. be anti-corporation yeah. having too much control over what goes on because that's not really democracy yeah so right. those aren't opposing views and, and I, I think, think that we, we are very much on the same page there yeah and most of the time so <laughs> oh, no, and i do no, like we it when we have the tiny differences i, I like Ooh. it when we have our little disagreements because it's fun no i think it's good to show that they can exist and oh yeah and we're still on we're so friends we text each oh, other are we? literally all day wait i hate you you don't we're in a fight you don't like me we're in a fight brooke I'm never sending you another meme again. You can forget about it. I'm going to keep sending you memes even though we're in a fight. Even though you don't like me. All right. Well, so what is the cure here? It's just I, the, the cure here would be. I mean, go back to what we've done for like a century before this. Have reasonable regulation on money and politics. It doesn't seem like such a crazy thing. What do you think about Andrew Yang's democracy dollars where he said he would give every citizen adult $100 to donate to their campaign of choice so that they could match big corporations? He's getting more and more absurd, and I feel very validated. I mean, technically, he always felt that way. This was always a part of his platform. But he had a a GD sweepstakes in the last debate. I know. I like him as a person, I think. I think that he's he's delightful. Did you see the tweet from him, though, where he's like, you got to admit, Yang presidency would be fun. All right, now you're getting a little reality show for me between the sweepstakes. He's not even that fun, except that he's being so absurd. I don't think he, I don't think he necessarily is, but he hates the Patriots. So I like him for that. All right. Hate Tom uh, Brady. Robert Kraft so is also Patriots, right? Yeah. Mm. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe they're all bad. Anyway, guys, we got to head out here, but you can follow us on Instagram. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm BKE Rogers on Twitter. I am Brooke Angeline on Instagram. I Pins. am MKZJ Brennan on Instablam. And on Twitter, I am get me number two, A Dunnery. Um, we love all of your DMs. We love when you reach out to us. We love hearing from you. Oh, we, love- we got some art, by the way. Um, wanted to give a shout out. It was the quote, was it? Super organic. Like gonna add it in from Chaplinsky that was, you are a goddamn racketeer and a damned fascist. And it was by Marrow for the Moon. So Marrow for the Moon sent us x marrow x underscore four underscore the underscore moon, moon. x x yes. <laughs> so follow them They're thank great. you marrow for the moon they sent us a very cool quote that art that we really like tickled um, us both so much and we we love your art we love your dms we really appreciate you guys leaving any feedback if you feel like rating us please do that always helps with visibility and such or even just like telling your friends about us if you think they'd like us i've okay. heard cool stories about people in fact the welder who oh yeah I, i'm sorry i'm going 
learned to consider him only as like capital T, the capital W welder. The welder. The welder. It's your superhero name. Said he got his wife to listen to it and she's like on it now and love hearing stories like that. I love it. We also had musings of a fox. I think she got her husband to listen to it. We love spouses getting We want to have a big slumber party with everybody and that sounds sexual. Okay. And (laughs) oh my god, no, just cuddling and marshmallows. But yeah, if you if you like us, review us, rate us, or just send Your us friends. DMs. Yeah, bored on the subway. Yesterday, my commute was four hours. What? Really bad. That damn D train. Oh, God, yeah. The subways have been terrible lately. Yeah. So we have lots of time broken. to read your sweet words, so please oh. send them to us. Also, I got a bunch of suggestions about what to name <gasps> the cat. What's a cat's name? I have not decided yet. Mackenzie and I are going to narrow it down to two names to name this cat, this bodega cat, whose current name is Ash, but I do not believe that is a cat's name. So I'm going to narrow it down to two choices, and then we out. are Maybe going we'll throw to in a third a wild card. Yeah. I mean, Instagram only gives us two, but we will figure it out. And a then, write-in option? A write-in <laughs> option. The third part. Are there going to be any hanging chads? Can the cat be hanging chad? <laughs> oh my god, that'd be hilarious. So anyway, uh, next week we will reveal the cat's name. It's a democracy. We're going to take votes. With the heavy hand of the government being Thank us. Thank you so much. Um, as always, we love you. Stay informed. The and if way you that- don't, ask us about it. Ask, ask us about, about a headline. I we'll do your work for you. Don't get overwhelmed and take breaks and let your brain rest. But also, the way we get to where we are now happens is by people, people tuning not out caring and, and losing out. faith. I know it's hard. And honestly, outsource it to you. us because we're happy to be that agent. Yeah, ask us. All anyway, right. Thanks for listening. Love you. Good night. Sleep Bye. well. Bye. They're going to listen in the morning and they're going to be like, I'm not going to bed. I'm going to work. I hate you.